My name is Alex Kashuta, and this is the Subversive Podcast. It's an excuse for me to talk to some of the most interesting people on the heterodox to heretic spectrum. Everyone from iconoclast philosophers to rogue scientists to real post-BuzzFeed journalists and our true intellectual elite, Twitter anonymous accounts. In short, they're quite subversive. Enjoy. Hello, hello, hello. I am Alex Kashuta. This is the Subversive Podcast. And today I have with me a um, writer and cultural commentator, default friend. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me on. My pleasure. I mean, we've been, we've been chatting for a long time. You're kind of uh, one of the, the first people that I was interested in when I got onto Twitter and essentially kind of that made me interested in, in being a part of Twitter because it, you know, it seemed like uh, a lot of cool people were on it. And, um, yeah, I'm really happy that, you know, we got to have this conversation because we were chatting at one point about starting a podcast, you know, kind of having like a, a co-host style podcast. But, uh, yeah, I mean, things, things move really fast on the internet. So in the end, this is kind of the format that I landed on. Yeah. I, wow. We've been, has it been since like July since we've been on each other's radar? It's been a while. Yeah, I think it's probably maybe August, August, September or something like that. Yeah, probably August. Yeah, but yeah, I think like I was still doing stuff with Gen Z Mafia when we because I, I remember like it was I would like wake up, I talked, talk to you over video chat. And then I was like, trying to wrangle like Gen Z kids and a discord. <laughs> <laughs> but what uh, what happened to that project? Are you not involved anymore? I like drop in and out of stuff. I mean, you know, it was really Emma, Salinas, and Suds who were organizing it. And I feel like I just talked about it a lot. So, you know, I don't want to, like, take any credit for, um, you know, for organizing that or anything. But I used to be, like, super active. And now it's just sort of the kids doing, you know, doing what they need to do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you you were, like, their their den mother for a while and kind of <laughs> corralling the, the, the younger generation. Um, yeah, I mean, this year, obviously, I need to, I need to comment on this year because this has been an interesting year. I mean, for me, it's been, it's been kind of productive because being in the, in the COVID bunker has made me become very online, which I've, you know, has come with a lot of opportunities, but also with a lot of, you know, I don't know, like alienation and being a bit, <laughs> a bit, I don't know, a bit weird. Um, how, how has this year impacted you? And, you know, how do you see the kind of the ripple effects of, you know, just being in, in the pod for a year kind of being forced to live the the ultra online life i am um, i don't even remember what i was like before this year it's been like i feel like every like almost every day now i'm, I'm like thinking about like wow this fucking sucks like i tweet about it a lot i yeah i i thought i i thought it would be like kind of fun um because i'm a little bit like i i handle being alone pretty well but it's like it's i'm pretty over it 
Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I know what you mean. Like here um, in Romania, we had to have this indefinite, like total mask mandate. So you you have to, and I live in the city, so I have to wear the mask all at all times when you're going for a walk or something. And I'm at that point where I just want to rip it off my face and scream because it's it's just you know, and also everyone's fallen in line. Like they're they're really they were a bit you know rebellious at the beginning, but now everyone's wearing a mask and they're looking at you like you know we're judging you if you just if you move it a little bit. So it's I don't know it's. A bit dystopian uh I, i really i'm expecting well, this end not like the mask right that bothered like you know fuck the mask at this point but it's it's like no one wants to hang out actually you know what even more than people not wanting to hang out or like not being able to go to restaurants what gets to me is when i have friends or, or like even family who are super covid paranoid and i was totally like this like the first three months before we knew what was going on but they expect you to pass judgment on other people and they think it's like a bonding experience i'm like <laughs> like if i'm invited to a party oh you know i'm not necessarily gonna go to a party but if i was invited to a party i mean like i'm not gonna <laughs> say yeah. no off the bat like i really want to see people um and i like i almost think the like attempt at like shared judgment is even scarier to me than anything else because it's like you how is this not affecting you Yeah, I think it's for a lot of people, it's kind of like the, the minimal, you know, bonding experience that they get to have. Um, because I mean, if they're, you know, COVID paranoid, they think, okay, you know, I haven't had any human interaction in a while. At least we can share on, on our common COVID paranoia. Anyone? Well, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, to be honest, my husband is a bit, a bit more COVID paranoid than me. So I completely empathize. <laughs> He doesn't try to like lure me into, into common COVID paranoia, but I'm like, yeah, I, I would love to receive a, a party invitation so that I, at least I could say no. At least I know other people are doing something <laughs> fun while I'm, uh, I'm in the COVID bunker. Um, but in, in terms of, you know, tech, and I know you're, you're kind of a, a self-described tech optimist and you've been in tech for a while or, or tech adjacent. Um, this has been a really good year for tech, at least for, for, you know, the bigger players in tech who've had to facilitate our new life uh, in, in different ways. Um, I mean, how, how do you see that? You know, I mean, th there's obviously a positive in the sense that, you know, these products actually are helping. You know, we wouldn't be using them if, if they weren't helping. They are facilitating some aspects of our lives. Uh, but there's also obviously a downside to it. You know, there's there's kind of the alienation, like um, kind of from from your tech optimistic perspective, you know, is there a, a way to mitigate this? You know, how, how can people approach this without losing their mind, you know, taking the good and maybe leaving the bad? I mean, you know, as much as I like hate going on video, I think like video is probably really big. Um, I, you know, I, I have a lot of friends through Twitter Uh, so like, I mean, anything that's giving you an outlet to talk to other people and connect with other people, but I don't think like, you know, as, as optimistic as I am about tech, I don't think it can replace human to human interaction. Um, I think it, the best way to look at tech is like augmenting connection instead of replacing connection. Yeah, I think the just because there's there's no other option. I mean, it has like necessarily replaced it because we kind of have this weird like militaristic state that tells us, you know, the human connection will will kill you and not only will it kill you, it will kill everyone around you and you will be to blame. And it's this weird kind of totalitarian frame that doesn't really allow for anything else. So um yeah i think in an ideal world you'd have that augmentation but in this way you were kind of just been been funneled down the down the, the tech track you know will, willing or not um 
yeah, it's 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 a pretty I don't know. It's just it's just feeling dystop more and more dystopian every day and I don't even know if it's the it's not really the technology. It's just being forced to rely on it and just being like, okay, this is this is your outlet, enjoy it. Um, you know, you know, it's actually better, you know, for people like me who can work from home, who can, you know, order the Amazon fresh and whatever Uber eats and stuff. Uh, but, you know, I think there's also a lot of people who are not, you know, who they're not the Twitter people that are having like lives of silent desperation that are completely ignored. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, most people. Um, I mean, there's also other people who've been out of work or like have been underemployed now going on a year and they're relying on like a rent moratorium. And the minute that ends, like, what's next? <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's super scary. It's, it's, it is extremely dystopian. It's, um, it makes me sad that I, I think we're going to see sort of like an anti-tech backlash. Um, I think because people resent tech and I understand it, but I don't, I think like the world is changing in a lot of ways and we, we need to rely on tech for that augmentation. Um, but that doesn't mean we can't fight back and, you know, Zoom replace it. Like I found out a family member died this year through a Zoom invite to a funeral. Like mm. that, and that's like totally, I mean, that's like a Black Mirror episode, but I know lots of people are experiencing stuff like that. And it's that kind of stuff that's making people so angry, right? Yeah. And so and that's totally justified. Um, yeah. But I think there's like, there's a way to, to, to be a techno optimist, but, you know, understand that we don't, you know, our lives don't have to be surrounded by Google calendar invites and, you know, FaceTime instead of Thanksgiving and, you know, whatever the hell people are, <laughs> Tinder instead of sex. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've had a Zoom wedding, so <laughs> I know all about this. <laughs> um, it's, I think, I think what people tend, tend to react to is, um, is the fact that this is kind of, because we've we've made growth our our main telos and we've this is this is the direction that people are going in and tech is the major growth industry it kind of has become the the telos of society to see these big giants grow and uh there's not really any other guiding principle so like you said you know if if we use these tools they're they're almost magical tools but we're not really using them we're just kind of going after the growth and kind of let letting the chips fall where they may there's not really a guiding principle behind it um and i also think a lot of people have become a bit um maybe science um not deniers but science skeptics after after this whole year of, of covid you know fuck arounds and mask mandates and poli the politicization of i don't know protective gear and all this stuff and all the experts coming out saying that you know a blm rally is more important than covid spreading and things like that that people are like wait a minute like i you know <laughs> i don't know if this is this is healthy or it's 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 a good direction um so i i feel like you know people are instinctively you know they feel something is wrong they probably you know the the thing is you know the, the pendulum's going to go one way and then it's going to go the other way and then you know i don't think we're ever going to be in the middle maybe for five minutes and then it's going to swing because that's just the, the nature of you know the animal spirits that govern the the way people feel about stuff um but I feel like, you know, to me, it feels like a necessary instinct because, you know, we've we've had this super optimistic, you know, we're going to the moon type energy about tech for a while. And it has delivered, obviously, you know, it's, you know, people aren't starving, you know, things are going well, even the Zoom call is almost like magic. Uh, but it's also, 
I don't know, it's also concerning to, to see it take over. Like these companies are, are based on essentially on, you know, network externalities. They they have logarithmic growth cycles and, you know, things happen almost overnight and your life has changed. And it's really scary because it is like magic. So I kind of feel like they've, you know, they're they're onto something. But like like you said, it might it might lead to an overreaction and then yeah, it'll overcorrect in some way. I mean, the, the overcorrection makes like it makes sense to scapegoat. To, so the, the I mean, my fear is um, you know scapegoating technology instead of the systems in place that allow uh, you know Google to censor what kind of information we have access to. Like it's not the techno it's not the technology behind Google that is the danger. It's that. We, you know, if you want to look something up, no, no, nobody's going on Bing.com. No one's using DuckDuckGo. It's you use Google. Most people's email is, you know, hosted by Google. They're, like that is the problem. It's not email at all. But you see people. That's but that's how reactions work, right? It's they're not going to say, well, fuck Google. They're going to say, fuck tech, or not. It's not going to be fuck Twitter. It's going to be fuck social media. Um, and I, I understand that, like, that's, it totally makes sense. But we, you know, it's not the 90s, right, where we could sort of afford a lull, we're about to see, and this, I mean, this sounds crazy when I tweet it, it sounds crazy when I said it out loud, but like, we're on the precipice of like, serious climate change, for like, for example, um, we're, we've already seen a little bit of it, but it's going to get worse and worse and worse with each passing year, we can't afford to to turn our backs on tech for a lot. I mean, for a lot of reasons, it's going to be things of things like this zoom call, but it's also going to be like these, these companies are the only ones with like the resources and the know-how to like get us out of bigger messes. than I think we're aware of, or I think that's like, you know, that, that I think are like top of mind. Um, so that I, that, that's my, that's my kind of trepidation there. Um, I, I really do think that like we are going to see people, you, the, the science thing's a great example, right? Like people aren't anti-institution, which makes sense. I, you know, I'm very skeptical of myself. There, it, you're seeing an actual reaction to science itself. Um, it, it, I feel like that's absolutely not, not the move. Like it's not the time to say, well, you know, how can, how can we rely more on our, you know, intuition beyond things, uh, you know, beyond the social sphere? It's like, how do we fix the institution so we can trust in the science of coming out, not can we trust science, period? Yeah, I think it's also, you know, a, a bit of a backlash to, you know, science being used as this, you know, this kind of institutional world it's, it's very it's a very political word and you know you hear things like the scientific consensus and scientists and research shows and things like that being like and like what does it mean you yeah know no but it's it's been instrumentalized like to such a degree that it doesn't really mean that much and people have learned to fear it because it changes you know one day after the other it's you know obviously science does change and you know updating science is an important thing but seeing it, you know, instrumentalized against political causes one day and then it completely flipping 180 degrees, you know, a month later, you know, just kind of breeds this type of suspicion. And um, I think I think there was actually like a, a survey, obviously, 
surveys, <laughs> you know, self-reported data is not really good, but it was, uh, you know, asking people, I think it had like a liberal conservative split and they were asking them like, oh, you know, what, what's your opinion on science? And people were generally, you know, science in the abstract was kind of, you know, pretty, you know, pretty, people were pretty happy. You know, I think liberals were a bit, a little slightly more convinced that science is 100% good. Uh, but conservatives were also there at like 70, 80%. Uh, but then when the conversation, you know, flipped to, to the institutions, to the scientists, to the consensus, conservatives were much more like saying, okay, this is, this is bullshit. Uh, because they've been the target of, you know, most of the, you know, I fucking love science people telling them that, you know, science is not on their side and that they're creationists or whatever. Yeah, I mean, the the I fucking love science crowd is like, I mean, it's it's small, you know, I think like the average person or like out of Twitter isn't really like thinking of those folks, but it's sort of like the same tech, it's the same treatment. It's like tech isn't all like poly nerds in the Bay, right? Like, like a lot of, you, you know, a lot of tech doesn't have the, the aesthetic of Silicon Valley and people forget that, but it becomes a shorthand for this thing that's ruining our lives. Um, so as, I mean, like we really need people who are, who fall outside of that aesthetic and who, or who fall outside of the stereotypes we speaking up. Um, and I, I mean, I don't know, I don't know what the answer is to like what to do about the institution of science and what to do about the fact that our universities are totally sideways or that the word science is totally abused. But I, I, I mean, I wish there was something. Yeah. I completely agree. And I think, you know, this, this whole, the subject of, of tech censorship comes up. And I see a lot of people, especially kind of in right wing circles saying, you know, you know, in a, in a weird way saying, oh, the government needs to step in. And that, that always kind of gets my haunches up because I'm like, I don't know if that's, a, if that's a solution. Right, like, I don't want state sponsored anything. <laughs> like, that's not going to be any better than like, you know, a Google micronation or something. <laughs> It's just both are bad. Exactly. And the thing is, at least, you know, in, in a way, te like big tech, you know, the, the tech that scares people and, they, you know, these monopolies, these oligopolies, um, what's so scary about them is that they're highly efficient because they have this, you know, this extremely well, you know, versed hierarchical structure where they can get shit done and the bad thing sometimes about government is that they're inefficient but they're also they're also constrained by you know even more factors so it's essentially trying to get this lumbering inefficient you know uncoordinated thing you know that's completely subject to political whims it's like you know if you think that the government's just going to implement your political will if you're like in power for two minutes you're you're mistaken because you know two years later someone else is at the helm and they're gonna you know crush you crush your dissent tell you what type of speech you should be you should be saying so i feel like people should be maybe a bit more careful about about saying oh yeah you know we need uh, the government to implement my will uh, on these companies yeah, it's um, it's a it's a fucking terrible situation. There's not really, I don't really see a, a good a good solution to this, you know, except for decentralization, alternative platforms, um, maybe. Yeah, it's it's there's no there's no winning. Yeah, I, I mean, the other thing is that these big companies do acquire the the upstarts and the you know the the passionate kids, and you're you, you know you can only say it's time to build for so long before someone offers you 20 million dollars or however much it is um so that's i mean that's another danger that i feel like even when i'm telling people like 
build your own stuff, even if it's only super like localized, you only get your immediate community to use it. Well, then what happens if it's more than your immediate community? And, you know, in what other ways does it get crushed or it, are, are you stifled or, you know, if, if you're not, um, if you're not acquired or copied, you know, AWS could kick you off. Like there's, it, it's a, it's a tough problem. Yeah. Do you think maybe like essentially trust busting or something like that could be a solution? I mean, this is a bit of an old school <laughs> way of doing it, but yeah, maybe just like dismantling the, the, the mega corps. I, I have no idea. I, I, it, it's just, they're, they're too big. Um, and they're too interwoven, which is again, like, you know, why it, I, again, like I understand why people are going to start thinking the solution is just abandoned tech altogether, because how do you really, how do you fight back against something that's so, that has its like claws so deep in your life? There's, it seems like there's no other option. And I don't, I don't know what the actual, I, I couldn't even begin to imagine. I think we probably need, um, like, I mean, I, I can't even say it because it's too ridiculous, like, well-meaning billionaires to, you know, defect. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't know. I start, you know, start your own country. Like, it's, which people are, are actually very seriously trying to do. But, um, yeah, I have, I have no idea what the possible solution to be. Yeah, I think there's there's quite an interesting push now towards like localism and people kind of congregating on the basis of, you know, things are like not, not their ethnicity or not their religion necessarily, but, you know, they kind of want to create these little parallel communities for people that are like minded. Um, do you think that's got like that's got any teeth that's, you know, might be a vision for the future? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think there's a, a lot of it, it, it's been on people's radar for a while. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't count like the communes of the 60s and 70s. I think they're a little bit um, different in texture than what's going on in sort of these tech and tech adjacent communities. Um, but I mean, it's been it's been bubbling for a little bit. And I think that people would be surprised if they knew just how much like charter cities and even, you know, like a step further, people who are thinking of trying to create these like, you know, states in the cloud. Um, there's a, there's a lot of people like seriously working on this. Um, I, I hope, I, I mean, I hope that it's something that doesn't get crushed by the powers that be. I think it'd be really interesting. I think it could be an interesting experiment in sort of trying to, to fix what's gone wrong elsewhere. But, you know, I don't, I don't know what it's going to look like when it goes from like maybe a thousand people are involved to 5,000 people or, from 5,000 people to 10,000. Yeah, I think this, you know, kind of being able to do more remote work. Um, I do think it's a bit it's a bit overstated how many people are actually doing remote work. But the fact that, you know, more people are kind of pushed into this direction does kind of allow for that. Um, but at the same time, I feel like remote work opens up a bit of a, you know, a bit of a problem. Like I know in myself, it's like the, the unstructured days, the, like the disconnection from, you know, from, from the people that, you know, you, you're supposed to be working with. It really does take, takes, it, it takes a toll. And, um, it, I'm kind of idealistic about it because I like, I like working remotely. It's, it's good. You know, I can, I can make an income. I don't have to be in central, whatever to do it. But at the same time, it's also, you know, it's also, 
doing things to me that I don't know I like <laughs> maybe that's just kind of like the Luddite in me I haven't really adapted to it but I'm like hmm there's some, some mysterious evil here that I can't put my finger on well there's but... no boundary between it's just everything's one flow I, I hate it too I mean it's like you know even like we're on this conversation I like swiped a notification away like two minutes in or something that was a, it was a work email like it's Saturday you know it's there's no there's no boundary between this is what I'm doing at home. This is my home. And then this is my place of work. And that's been sort of, that boundary has been very blurry in tech for a long time. Um, but I mean, like, even at a, you know, even at the fun startup where there's mandatory fun, you, it, you're very able to like leave that at the office. And then you like, you live somewhere else. Like your partner is somewhere else. You're, you know, your friends are somewhere else, but now it's just all one. It's like, a, a soup of stuff where nothing is really clearly siloed and it's it, i mean i'm less productive personally i, I don't I, I don't like it either I, I miss being in an office yeah and i, I really like the because I, I used to bike to work so it was kind of like i had these little events that were kind of you know the the event that was triggering the work and the event that was stopping the work so whenever i saw my bike i knew that this was kind of like this liminal space where i could you know just uh yeah just get into the zone and it was also pretty cool because i was biking through central london it's like you know it's just all these like fancy buildings and it's just like this kind of this event every morning um and i that's probably the thing i miss most about london was my commute which i know is probably not something that's very common to people working in the city um but yeah it's it's definitely it definitely takes a lot of adaptation i think you know maybe tech could be you know, maybe tech's going to offer some something to, to make this stuff easier. But at the moment, I only have stuff that's really distracting. <laughs> yeah, I, I I think like, regardless of what industry you work in, having like a place for work and like a place for home and a place for social, it, you know, they can't be all one sort of fluid movement. It's, it doesn't, it's not, it's not healthy. Um, your, your work shouldn't, I mean, what this does is it makes like work, you know, touch every part of your day and every part of your existence. There's, there's no, there's no way to separate it off. Yeah, exactly. And there's also those moments missing where you just bump into people, you know, because there's not, there's that, you know, that, that minimal interaction you have with people just, you know, buying a bagel or whatever, is it just kind of disappeared. And for a lot of people I know, because, you know, even just city life doesn't make you the most sociable person. Like you hang out with a handful of people, but outside of that, you know, most of your social interactions are with people that you kind of have these minimal, you know, quips with or have, have a joke with the the guy who's at the, you know, reception at the office or something. Um, but that's kind of, you know, that the disappearance of that and obviously, you know, all the other stuff that, that happened with COVID, I feel like, you know, it's, it's going to compound. Like there's all these little things missing and all these new things added on. And um, yeah, it's, it's not surprising to me that people are, are going a bit nutty uh, about staying at home so long. I, I'm surprised that like Second Life hasn't, do you remember Second Life that it was like a game where, you know, there was no, there was no plot. You just were a person walking around the world. Mm -hmm. I'm surprised like that hasn't, that we haven't seen something like that come back. I mean, we have stuff like um, Branch and Gather Town, which are like these sort of digital offices where you have an avatar and it's, um, you know, it's, it, I think they're both like these 8-bit kind of environments and you walk around and you can only hear people you're, you're physically close to, if, you know, um, within these environments. But 
that's not quite the same, right? It's like invite only, it's meant for work, but I'm surprised like nobody has tried to put us in, you know, more obviously into these digital worlds. It seemed like they were so popular in like 2005 or whatever. And now like now's, now's the time we need them the most. Yeah, but I think it's, it's interesting because, you know, obviously all we have digital worlds but they're kind of reduced to one dimension in a way and it's kind of the dimension that you care about like twitter for me it's, it's been really good because i'm like a very high, highly verbal person and what i care about when i interact with people is you know just little snarky quips and yeah i'm like yeah this is my jam i love this stuff um and and my husband he's really into call of duty like he got so hard into Call of Duty right now, and he's just hanging out with his friends. They're I don't know, killing Russians or whatever people do on on that game. So he's he that's his virtual world, and he's like, I've I've never been happier. I just hang out with my friends like it's it's normal. And then you know we we get these stats and we we increase our whatever XP or things, and it's it's quite cool. Like you know he gets to go on raids, and yeah, he's he's super satisfied with with this this social side of his life. But I, I feel like you know we. We have Second Life, but it's just split into different interest groups in a way. And yeah, maybe you don't need the whole package. Maybe it's just, I don't know, whatever whatever well, tickles you. you. Know, what Second Life does, though, is like it's serendipitous. Because like you can meet, you can meet strangers on Twitter, of course. Like, you know, we both know this. Or on Clubhouse, yes. <laughs> which is like, a, you know, which is for the, for anyone who doesn't know Clubhouse, it's like Twitter for audio, sort of. I guess that's one way to describe it. But like with Second Life or like, the Sims Online or there, which is another similar game. You know, I don't know if game is really the right word, but um, you can bump into people just like real life. Um, there's no the, like that serendipitous, you know, social thing is totally gone. Even on Twitter, it's a little bit you need to make an effort a little bit more than you might if you just bumped into someone at the, the bagel store, like like you're mentioning. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think that there there might also be a little bit of friction. Like, I feel like, you know, people are, are in a way, it, it's a bit awkward to bump into someone as well. Like, I feel like a lot of the, the tools that we have now digitally minimize social friction to, to the, you know, to completely bare bottom. We don't want to, we don't want to go there. Um, and you essentially kind of just get everything on demand. And I feel like, you know, serendipity is, is super cool in a way if, if it's a good surprise, but if you bump into someone you don't like, it's or someone that you're like, oh, <laughs> this, this person's annoying, then uh, maybe that's not as good. I don't know. But I, I feel like you, of all people, would argue that like bumping into people, you know, like that's part of the, the texture of life, right? Like, you need to bump into someone you don't like to eventually bump into someone you do. Like you can't only, you can't curate it out basically is what I'm trying to say. I feel like that's very in line with your, you know, like sacrifices are necessary. Like you kind of need these discomforts to, to have a full life because those are, you know, what brings the, like there's this great, uh, there's a great verse in the, the book of Mormon, like, uh, you know, like Adam would not have ever known uh, joy had he not first known misery and, I mean, that's, you know, speaking of, of tech also, like, that's a big blind spot of tech. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I completely agree. And I think, you know, um, there's there's kind of the this this data preference level and the revealed preference re level um I I do and I would I would use a system like that. But it's also something I'd kind of have to push myself to use and I would do it in a conscious way. Uh, but I think, you know, 
a, a lot of the, the products that have actually made it to the point where they're you know super common and everyone uses them do do so because they minimize friction you know essentially because it is the you know the, the shortest way from a to b and if you have a product that that complicates things a little bit or induce induces just a little bit of discomfort then it's not gonna it's not gonna make it in the, in the marketplace of stuff because people do kind of you know want to get it done in the, the most comfortable way so i think there there is a market for for making stuff for people who want to be you know uncomfortable i mean there's a market for spartan race which you know I've, i think is kind of nutty but i'm like yeah yeah that's all about discomfort like less you know it's less something as on the nose as spartan race but it's like like with with um you know with like uber eats like you it's it's you get your food very easily um, but then like, you know, you miss the experience of like going into the, the, the restaurant and smelling the smells and maybe knowing who, you know, cooked your food or like even like that exchange, like someone's handing it to you. Like now Uber Eats, they have a new feature where they just put the food at your door. Um, and that's, you know, maybe fine with food, but like with social interaction, like, you know, it, it, that, there's no service, there's no transaction there. Like a social interaction should sort of have the full, the full spectrum of, all right, this kind of sucks. But like, if, you know, I, if I didn't go to this part, this party in real life with, you know, a couple of people I didn't like, I wouldn't have never spoken to the people I do like. Maybe I, I even like them more in contrast to these other people who I like less, or, you know, any number of situations like that. Yeah, I think, but in a way, I think that this is kind of, you have to know this, you know, you kind of have to realize this, you kind of have to be philosophically calibrated enough to understand that this is this is life. Um, and, you know, even if most things come to you on a silver platter, because that's just, this is the ease that we've become accustomed to, uh, there are certain things that, you know, just can't. And that's, you know, that's kind of, you know, this, like you said, this is kind of my, my shtick as well. Like, you, you kind of have to understand which parts of your life, there is friction, you have to engage with it, you have to go through to get to the other side and that's the only way to get there um and i feel like you know a lot kind of the ease of so many things kind of in induces the illusion that you don't necessarily have to to go through friction to to get there i mean i've, I've seen this in myself you know I've, I've tried to i've tried to stay you know relatively social throughout this whole thing but i feel like my tolerance for for social awkwardness or social you know just social frictions kind of gone down a bit so i'm like hmm I, I don't know. I also don't want to argue with people anymore. Like back in the in the day, I was like, you know, we have to solve this problem. But now I'm like, yeah, whatever. You know, I'll just I'll just be. I don't know. We'll forget about it in two weeks. <laughs> Wasn't that like wild? I feel like, you know, a disagreement can be a friendship ending event. Yeah. Um, people don't like to disagree. Like you can't. You're not allowed to be wrong anymore. I feel like I'm constantly being like, you know, I. Like I'll start a sentence and I don't know where it's gonna end, right? <laughs> like Walmart, like halfway through. But it's it just feels like you're not like if if you disagree with someone, it means that the relationship is over, which I, you know, to your point, I think is like a product of this frictionless society. Yeah, exactly. And I don't know. I feel like maybe because. For example, we have these like weird parasocial relationships on online with people that we agree with because we wouldn't be following <laughs> them if we didn't. Uh, and then we kind of move those standards into real life. And then when you have a disagreement or someone doesn't really get you and, you know, the more based and red pilled you are, people won't get you. <laughs> so, yeah, you're you're kind of. Well, I mean, even online, right? Like you should, you know, all disagree with like most of someone's takes even, but like really like them as a person. And I feel like. 
I'm constantly like when people, you know, just to give a really easy example, people will like come and agree with me and be like, yeah, this person's a dumbass. I'm like, no, like, you know, they're not a dumbass. Like, don't, like, I don't, I don't give a fuck about like their personal life. Like, don't, I don't want a, a character judgment on them. I just disagree with their opinion on this one, you know, niche thing. Like that is, it's, it, it feels like there is no room for like, I am to like, totally like misaligned with this person's you know philosophy but there's still an interesting person who's like worth speaking to or you know whatever and engaging with on any level and I, I like that really bothers me about Twitter that like if you disagree with someone more than once people assume you don't like them which is just like that's that was not the norm even like 10 years ago yeah it's um i've seen i see these like these people takes all the time now it's like <laughs> these people these people and then they kind of gather like maybe two or three descriptors of you know they've been this way they've done this and then these people are like this and and then you have a, a tight little box to to fit your people in and then you know you know who your people are and who those people are it's it's quite quite clean cut and i mean i i kind of i kind of get it in a way the platform itself kind of makes you I don't want to use this word, it's tribalize or whatever, kind of segregate into your into your groups. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't know if it's platform induced or if it's just kind of the culmination of just being human and wanting to wanting to I don't know to to socialize with the people that you agree with and show them you know not only do I agree with you but I I am against your enemies so we're we're friends no. <laughs> but you know, like what are the people who aren't easily categorized do right like. Uh, you know, there's plenty of people who like, you know, they're not, they're, they don't have like one political orientation or they're not like wholesale pro anything. Um, and it feels like no matter what kind of corner you're on, you have to pick a lane. And I, I mean, you know, as I'm saying this, <clears throat> this is not a very original thought. This is just the echo chamber thing, right? But it, you know, I don't know. It's it's not a very, it's not a very enjoyable experience. If you, I, I wish that like more people push back on it or at least to like, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm guilty, you know, guilty as charged as anyone else, but like, at least with the disagreement thing, I always try to like make very clear, like, I disagree with this person's tweet. I don't know who they are personally. I'm not going to, you know, drop into like the gutter of like character based attacks, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which I think is like the least people could do. Yeah. I mean, it it does work, you know, character-based attacks, you know, do work and it does kind of get you clout to be in like a, I don't know, a flame war with whoever. <laughs> so That's it's true. Yeah, it, it makes sense. It's a, it's a good, I guess it's a good strategy if you're looking for, you know, engagement. <laughs> it definitely drives engagement. I think it's just human nature. People like to see drama, um, especially if it's really intellectual and you're sparring and there's, <laughs> there's sparks flying. <laughs> like reality tv where you can like further violate everyone's privacy or something <laughs> exactly um let me see uh i also wanted to ask you about the uh the background in a way like you've you've been living in san francisco you have been part of the uh, the bay area class for a while what's what's it like because the thing is you know i i have never been to san francisco so obviously any take i have on san francisco is completely informed by by right-wing propaganda but it sounds like <laughs> like it's sometimes a bit scary how, how does it feel <laughs> Uh, so I've actually never lived in the city of San Francisco. I've always lived south in, in the South Bay. Um, 
you know, in the, the suburbs. Um, and then before that, I, I lived in San Jose, which is, I, it, it's weird. I was just talking to someone last night. About how I, I think San Jose is like the third biggest city in California or something, but it's like never really thought of. But yeah, the city of San Francisco is dirty. It's it's kind of scary to walk through if you're in the wrong neighborhood. Um, it's totally overpriced. I mean, it's like, it's beyond, beyond parody. <laughs> it, although I would say most of the right wing propaganda about it is 100% correct. Hmm, I thought so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Is there, is there any, I mean, I, I know about the California exodus. I know a few people, you know, who are friends of mine who were living in San Francisco and that are not living in San Francisco anymore. Um, and I've, I've heard of a lot of people moving out and this, the same is the case about London. You know, I've, I've moved out of London as well with, with the first exodus, COVID exodus. Um, and it's happening all over the place. I mean, do you, do you see that? Is that, is that a thing now? Are people, people moving to Phoenix and stuff? Um, yeah, I mean, people are, are getting the hell out there. I, I think like the three big places are Utah, Texas, and Florida. Um, none of them, I, I'm not sure in Utah, but I, you know, at least Texas and Florida don't have income tax. So I think that sort of solves that mystery. Um, and then sort of, you know, the stragglers are, are going to wherever their family is. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I, there's, there's just no reason to be here anymore. Um, they, I, I think there's like a, there's a, you know, a small cohort of young people and I, and by young, I mean like 18, 19 years old who are sort of, uh, you know, they see San Francisco as a frontier. It's there, you know, it's, it's new San Francisco. I don't know how long they're going to stay here. Um, cause the money is all leaving, but yeah, I mean, like people, you know, love to talk about like rent's gone down 30%. All right. But like our starting point was like $6,000 a month. So like. <laughs> It's still too expensive here and crime crime's gone up um in the city of san francisco i mean i don't blame anyone for, for leaving um the only reason i haven't like left permanently is because i have you know i've i you know i am going to be leaving in the spring but i have other things that are keeping me here that i have to wait to finish up before i could head off forever yeah, so it's uh, yeah, it's it's on your mind as well. I thought you're kind of a, a you're you're gonna pull through and a true Bay Bay Area oh. believer. No way, uh, no. I it's so it's so far. My family's on the East Coast. I mean, it's just like there's there's just no reason for it. Um, it's it's you know it's it's far away. It's it's expensive. It's it's dangerous. It's locked down indefinitely, so you can't even like go to a restaurant or like you can't even like walk to like a cafe and just like chill there for a second get a breather totally alone it's like you're kind of expected to be in like the prison of your own home like very like i say to my boyfriend all the time like we live in a scandinavian prison (laughs) (laughs) exactly exactly i mean it's it's the same here to be honest but we we have we're lucky because we have you know kind of a slightly bigger house than we used to in london and there's a garden outside but you know, it's just, it just can't go on for any longer. Yeah, but I'm not going to bore you with my COVID gripe. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, every day I complain. <laughs> um, and also you, you were mentioning Utah. And I know this is kind of tied into another thing that you really, really love. It's uh, Mormons. 
Like, yeah. <laughs> being being Romanian, I also know nothing about Mormons except for the the um, their mu- wonderful musical. I went and saw it; it's quite good. And uh, I don't know a few a few Lifetime movies and the fact you know from my you know uh, new atheist days that their that their whole religion is completely ridiculous and they're living on planets and stuff. But that's that's all I know. Why are Mormons interesting? Um. Uh, so I, I got into them sort of as a kid. I've always been like very attracted to like cultures you can join. Um, no, like not subcultures per se, but like, uh, you know, I, I find that like people, I think like people really like Japan, not only because it has like, you know, anime is cool and there's like, they use like bright colors a lot in their, their pop cultural artifacts, but it's like, they, you know, Japanese is a different language from English. It's a, coherent culture and America really doesn't have that so Americans love to get obsessed with like other countries in a way that I feel like doesn't really happen in in Europe or you know even you know Africa or Asia um so for me like that's how I felt about Mormons like this is a culture where they like they speak English it's like a coherent culture they have their own way of their own recipes they have their own way of eating they they have their own music their own movies and it was like, oh, cool. Like I could actually, I could join this if I wanted to. Like, it's not just, I don't have to just be like a tourist, um, you know, in the same way, like, like a weeaboo might in Japan. Um, so, I, you know, and I, I feel that I've felt that way about like the Amish variously in my life or like certain like evangelical movements. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's that's really it. It's just like, it you feel so unmoored as an American that it's very exciting when you see like any kind of like coherent cultural movement that's has a history and like you know there's architectural sites and there's cities there's just like things that like that don't that don't really exist elsewhere um in our, in our culture yeah and and they do seem like they do seem pretty self-contained and they also seem they seem really happy <laughs> in a way like I, I don't think i've ever seen you know a mormon i think i, I had two colleagues and and on uni that were mormon i mean we didn't really talk about it but they were genuinely like con- content people so i there's just something attractive about that like there's a coherent lifestyle in there i mean i don't really know exactly what they do but it seems to be working is that also part of the attraction I mean, you know, I don't, I don't think so. Um, I don't know how much of that happiness is, is genuine. Um, there is like a culture of like politeness and kindness that I think could be like a double-edged sword when you're like, you know, in a, a friendship with someone who's Mormon or even like ex-Mormon. Um, that's like a whole other, a whole other topic. But I, I think for me, it's just like, here are a, a people within my own country that are super accessible with like a history in a way that, very few other you know peoples or places have a a history and um you know shared values a shared vision of the future um you know of course there's like plenty of of groups with like histories but mormons are also looking forward um so i mean yeah i think that's i think that's really what draws me to them Mm. Yeah, it's, it's it's it is super interesting. I mean, yeah, for from my perspective, I've only heard them from from jokes. I only understand Mormon culture from people making jokes about it and its ridiculousness. So I'm sure there's absolutely more to it. But it's, uh, it's quite a yeah, it, it's quite interesting to be from somewhere that's, you know, that has so much American influence, like like I am, but you essentially kind of see a mirror of a mirror of a mirror, like, you know, and you've never really been involved in, in the culture, you know, on the ground, you haven't really talked to the people 
actually involved in this. Um, so it's, um, it is kind of, you know, it's interesting to, to maybe discover that you've not been very informed about stuff. <laughs> I, I mean, Americans, you know, find that out about, I mean, practically everywhere else in the world, I think I'm like on a daily basis, right? <laughs> like there's so, you know, you, you go to, you go to Europe and you realize, oh shit, like, I don't actually, I don't know anything. <laughs> I don't know anything about my own country, right? Like, let alone other places. Yeah, yeah, I think it's, you know, it's, you know, having the internet at your fingertips kind of gives you the illusion of, of knowing stuff. But when it comes down to it, it's it's quite a, it's, it's quite an illusion. Yeah, um, yeah that's, that's definitely true. I mean, I, I have that experience all the time. <laughs> like, I, you know, I think I'm, I have an opinion on something, I'm really confident about it. And then I'm like, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. <laughs> I, yeah. couldn't, I couldn't even explain my position. Yeah, I think I think it's, you know, it's sobering to kind of get to get to grips with that. You know, it, I think it makes you a better thinker to to, you know, be confronted with your own um, inconsistencies. And also the fact that, you know, some people really know what they're talking about and uh, and you you might not. I don't know. I mean, that's a huge that's a huge thing with the Internet, right? Like there's such a difference between like tweeting about something or writing an essay about something where it's like completely like, you know, uninteractive. And then when you have to, you know, string a sentence together verbally, it's a totally different experience. Um, you know, you don't have time to think about it. You don't have time to like backspace or anything. You, you know, you're off. You're, if you're speaking, you're probably in a conversation. And it's it's such a different experience than just like tweeting it out or writing it down. Yeah, there's there's extra layers to it, you know, and yeah, like you said, you can't really refine it while you're saying it. Um, and I know I, I sometimes sound a bit a bit weird because most of my English is from from reading rather than from speaking, so I have these weird formulations. But it's just like it has it has to come out. That's the only way I could do it. Um, I apropos um, essays. I know you've you've written on um, on sex work in the past. So we've talked about this before, and I've I've written on sex work as well. Um, and you're not like a, a hundred percent sex positive feminist, which is already like an indictable offense. I think you're you're, you're on the wrong track, on the wrong side of history there um but why um why is sex work like such a contentious issue at the moment i mean it's it's everywhere you know aoc says it's work there everything's you know pulling into the direction that this has to be you know the, the new big thing normalized because you know women are at home and they're jobless and you know you got to make a buck so this is this is <laughs> this is what we what we have now um you know why it, it does feel a bit to me like it's, it's being pushed quite aggressively but maybe that's just my my feeling um, yeah, well, why is this happening? I think we're, we're probably, you know, on the same page about this one. You know, if you're a society that's, uh, you know, siloed into buyers and, uh, you, you know, sellers, you know, people who are, are selling their bodies and then people who are consuming bodies, you need to be pro-sex work um, with, you know, if with increasingly less connection, that's the only you know, what else are you going to do with sex, right? Like, there's no serendipitous meeting. Um, if, you know, if it's hard to get traditional work, like, you know, if you're in a gig economy, sex work, of course, makes sense. I, I also think it's, like, trendy for reasons that, like, people can't fully wrap their mind around. I think, like, these things just, like, pop up because they're edgy. Um, you know, I was listening to a podcast the other day where it was, like, it was something like sex workers' rights advocate or something 
And she like couldn't quite explain, um, you know, why she wanted to use like the word sex work over or sex worker over prostitute or like why it, you know, why she was for decriminalization um, over legalization. And of course, there's there's plenty of people who could speak on these topics super, you know, in a super educated way. But I think it's telling that someone who is enough of an activist to be invited on a major podcast, like can't like doesn't quite know what she's working for or why um so i I do think it's like somewhat faddish in that way but i don't you know i don't don't know what like the the deeper the deeper reasons are myself other than um you know these things do trend but also like you know if if you if you are a society of consumers this is the most essential thing (laughs) to consume yeah, exactly. And this this whole concept that, you know, every aspect of your life has to be a gig. Yeah, you have to you have to monetize, you know, you can't just be, you know, having sex like a, you know, like a popper with someone for no money while yeah. you can make in bank. You know, <laughs> like this is well, people like aren't having sex because they want to have sex anyway, right? Like it's a proxy for, you know, connecting or making a friend in some cases or validation. Um, like, I when I talk about, you know, sex with my friends it's like never ever mentioned in this lens of like of love or like even like I'm very attracted to this person like a way of expressing that attraction and it's it's like not surprising at all that like people say like well I may as well charge for it because you're already so emotionally disconnected from it like it really isn't different than like you know any other like why would if you're helping someone put up shelves over and over again why wouldn't you eventually just like you know, jump on TaskRabbit and start charging for it. Yeah. It, it just betrays that people aren't doing it because they, you know, they want to. Yeah, that that's a really good point. And I, I could kind of see it as well in my friend group. Like the conversation moved from, you know, being like awkward teenagers, not knowing about, you know, love or maybe it's just, you know, being a teenager, but it really morphed into like fucking, you know, like, oh, I fucked this guy and things like that. And I'm like, oh, my God, like, well, how did this happen? It's almost overnight because it it did kind of become a bit more of a, I don't know, of a sport at one point. I'm not sure exactly when when it forked, but yeah, it, it was it was quite interesting. And it, it was kind of imperceptibly so, you know, we, you could blame sex in the city, but I think, you know, a lot of these things are kind of kind of epiphenomena. They just they just happen in parallel to things that are already happening in society. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's quite a yeah, it's, it's quite a good point. It, it's kind of scary as well. Well, it's like, you, you can understand the sort of like, you know, if you're if you're in an environment where men aren't respecting you, and you're kind of you're trying to use sex as a way to engineer a relationship and you're you're very desperate you can understand sort of like ironically trying to like you know build like a body count or even like using the language of body count because you already feel disenfranchised what i think is weird is like then moving that into this like embracing it and using it as you know a form of empowerment instead of saying like all right how did we how did we get here at all like you know, I, I find that often when women have like slept with like 70 people or some like crazy number like that, it's like they want to be in relationships. They're just being rejected so much that you have to like, with like this ironic detachment, be like, yeah, you know, like I, I'm not like, I'm not getting my hopes up or anything. Um, so it's, it, it, you know, it's, it's weird that people aren't like trying to some, you know, somehow combat that it's it's more like leaning into something that i think is very painful for a lot of people too 
Yeah, I think you see this kind of in a lot of kind of modern cultural products aimed at, you know, 30 something women, you know, we keep seeing this, you know, the the wine aunt meme and, you know, the, the, the women who get drunk by by noon, but there's this like silent rage and fear and, and disappointment at, at existence itself that just kind of beams from these, you know, postcards and whatever, you know, little cultural artifact you look at. Um, and, you know, like the Chelsea Handler style culture, like there's these women have been used with in a way with their own consent um and i think that's the the hard thing that's what they need to retcon and why they need to kind of justify their their lifestyle because it is kind of a, an, an ultimate expression of freedom it's like no one's really putting a gun to your head but this was the only option that you had because this was the kind of the emergent culture that that you lived in you know this was this was what well, was on the other hand thing is like you know does the wine aunt ultimately wants to be married and and have children it's you know, the, I feel like they're, they're sort of a mirror to, to incels in a way, um, because I don't think, at least not until Tinder, not until like recently, right? Like the women who, like, these are women who are being rejected by men. They, like, you know, would the, would the wine aunt still be single if she wasn't discarded after she, you know, blew her date, right? Like, you know, and, and that's that's part of it and I, I think like maybe these women are like sluts you know I, I don't think that's a, a great word to use but because like they're trying to use sex to trap people and it's not working and for some reason they have they never stopped because maybe the expectation has always been set yeah I think there's like a concurrent phenomenon where you know now women are rejecting men and they're turning themselves into the why not but like the original like you know like when I lived in New York I so I, which I think is like the 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 sort of exemplary, uh, you know, the example of like the wine aunt in, environment, right? I, you know, I like I wasn't rejecting men, right? Like men were rejecting me. And finally, like when I met someone nice who I was in love with, I got married, and I got married because I was in love. But I also got married because it's like I'm I don't want to be I'm, I'm exiting the market today. Like <laughs> I am not going to. Like I remember like thinking I was, I was 23 and I, I was thinking like, I am like, I am not going to be like, uh, you know, in my thirties and still like one night stand after one night stand after one night stand. I like, I am living the suburbs. I am <laughs> turning my back on this. This is humiliating. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I completely hear you. I mean, it's, you know, a lot of so much of the stuff is just, you know, just emergent from so many factors. And I feel like a lot of, you know, insult culture and also a lot of, you know, wine out culture is is kind of programmed to be pointing fingers, you know, you know, men are pigs, but also, you know, women are sluts, you know, this you know, it's kind of like this whole idea that oh, if, if I have a daughter, you know, I'm not going to let her do X and I'm going to steer her life into this direction. And my daughter is not going to be a slut. Your daughter is going to be whatever the culture around her is going to tell her to be. And this is this was the culture of the big city in the last, what, 20, 30 years. And um, and it's not just necessarily the culture. It's also the conditions. You know, there's technological conditions like the apps. There's economic conditions. There's, you know, the fact that, you know, a lot of women either wanted or needed to go, you know, earn money. There's, there's all sorts of things 
things flowing into this pot and, you know, pointing fingers at each other and saying, yeah, man, if women just got their shit together, we would just, we would be living in utopia. And I think, you know, that's kind of where I, where the buck stops with me with, with incel culture. Uh, well, cause I am, I am pretty, I, I understand them and I think, you know, there's just something to it, but it's, you know, you have no solutions, guys. You know, these, these things are upstream, like maybe a century ago. Yeah, no, I, I, mean, I totally agree with you. Um, there, there's like, there's, I, I also feel like people don't recognize there's like multiple things going on too. Like incels are, are correct on a lot of stuff. Um, it's, it's almost like there's, there's like three different parallel realities. They're all happening at the same time. Everyone's right. Um, but when you sort of, when you view it as one monolith, it's, it doesn't, you know, things don't track anymore. Like the, the, you know, the older millennials who are still single aren't that aren't the zoomers who are on OnlyFans and you know who are single for that reason like this there are different there's different timelines and different demographics who are affected by problems that look very similar yeah they'll lead us to the same place which is no one has a family and everyone dies alone but like you know there's different different things brought us to that point yeah exactly and I I feel like (laughs) I, I see a lot of people kind of on on Twitter, especially kind of in these like traditional Catholic circles, you know, NRX, things like that. People who are like, yeah, you know, I'm just going to marry a woman who's 20 years old and she's just going to be like super pure and I'm going to go to, to the Tradwife farm and, and pick out my, my personal ingenue and I'm going to take her home to my mom and explain the world to her. Um, that woman does not exist, at least in the Western Hemisphere. I don't really see her <laughs> popping up uh but yeah i don't know it's i feel like you know there's a lot of uh, illusions uh that people feed off of in these um you know very traditional corners of the internet yeah totally i mean you know all the all the older millennial guys who are like making fun of older millennial girls it's like or women rather like why didn't you marry her you know 15 years ago if you're so passionate about this right like you know what do you think led these you know led these women down this path um, you know, if there, there are no, you're right. There are, there are no pure 20 year olds. There's no pure 18 year olds. There's no pure 14 year olds at this point. Like it's, you know, corruption all the way down. Yeah. And I feel like this is another instance of you kind of have to go through this cultural moment to get to the other side. Like the idea that, you know, we're just going to stop history and we're going to just, you know, build a trad wife farm and just like keep them in the bunker until they're 18 years old and good and ready to get married. is just not not realistic. So you kind of have to have a competing value system that's really interesting and enticing for good reasons um, that can compete with, you know, whatever Moloch is offering this month. And, you know, just just kind of showing people that, okay, this is where this path leads. And it might be enticing to you, whatever. But this is also, you know, if you want, you know, stability, a family, build something kind of maybe bigger than yourself, then this is this might be cool as well. But it's, I think the, the hard part about this is that, um, you know, consumer society does tend to have people try to satisfy kind of their proximate interests, you know, their things that are expedient, you know, you you make money today on OnlyFans, because this is the short, shortest way to make money. And then you don't really end up investing in things that might pan out in the in the longer term. Uh, and I feel like a lot of that wisdom's a bit lost. I don't know, that's kind of my fear. Well, you know, I, I, I do think that there's one possibility I see and I see, I have a, a lot of younger uh, female friends. So I kind of see this maybe happening. I don't know if it'll scale, 
but like looking at people who are like maybe my age and a little bit older who don't have families who don't have partners and I mean it's it's sad and it's like almost uncomfortable for me to say but like the younger generation looking at us and saying like well I don't want to be like that that scares the shit out of me I don't I like I don't want to be a Kristen Wiig having my my first child at 47 years like that's you know yeah I think NASA scientists were involved in that one that's (laughs) god it's like I you know I feel bad for her I but I, I a lot of people are in that boat and I think like you know you you might that might scare people straight I mean that's the only thing I could I could think of you know besides incentives um just like looking at folks saying like this is like lonely and it sucks and um you know also I think there needs to be a better way like we've sort of opened up Pandora's box like male validation feels really good and women become addicted to it and I you know it sounds kind of sexist to say that but it's like you know if you if you don't have a community you're not getting uh you know you're not getting any positive reinforcement anywhere else and then you get it in the most powerful way possible through sex and through being told that you're beautiful and being beautiful so valuable and everyone's hot and like now look at all this evidence that you're hot too like you know if we could somehow warn people that like that doesn't last forever but also like you don't really need it in a surplus like forcing people like I think like when women have like a lot of simps like they don't realize like like you you might get like some money off of it or something or people complimenting you but like think about pursuing each of those people like do you really like do you really want that over what the alternative is it's like less attention and one person or you know cultivating other parts of your life like I I think it's really hard to it's like a a sugar rush like you think about eating the slice of cake but you don't think like what what happens when I crash yeah and it's it's I think it's really hard to communicate to people like it it only feels good in this moment and it's not going to feel good long term and in fact you don't even really want it as bad as you think you do yeah i think your your point about you know the alternatives is really good here because it's like this is you know it's kind of like that experiments with with rats that were given heroin and then they got a playpen and then they ignored the heroin because the playpen was so much fun (laughs) but we don't really have the playpen we have less and less of a playpen in real life of real people or things that are kind of naturally stimulating to people Uh, and then you have all these you know this variety of candy bars that's been you know shoved down your gullet because this is the thing that you're you're supposed to be doing um i uh I, i feel like you know the the next steps probably something about rebuilding the playpen in some way though you know it is kind of it's comparatively hard to to advertise the playpen especially if it contains friction you know if it's like if there's hard parts to the playpen that maybe the the heroin doesn't have the heroin's quite quite good so yeah it's um i don't know i feel like that's i think that's to me that's probably the the more dystopian part of tech you know it's kind of like that that louis ck skit like you know drugs are so good they're they're gonna kill you and i feel like you know you know this this uh these super stimuli that you have it baked into any tech product now because they, they want to keep you on are so good that they you know they might not kill you but they might just you know corrupt you in a way that you just kind of you won't you won't feel for a while yeah i mean but i, I think there's there's ways around it right like you know, um, you know, you know, you and I were talking about this, like, I'm on Twitter, believe it, you know, I tweet 200 times a day now. So it might be hard <laughs> for people to believe at this point. But when I, you know, when I was, um, 
you know, able to go into San Francisco and hang out with my friends, I would tweet like once a day, once every other day. Like I didn't even check every day because it was like going to a bar with my friends or like watching a movie with my boyfriend or like, you know, any, just walking around, right. was so much better that like, even though I, you know, I, I get like the dopamine from like notifications and attention or whatever, it's just, like, you know, you forget our, our attention spans are short. Our memories are short. Like there, there's, I think that there's nothing else for people to turn to. Like there's nothing stronger than the validation of strangers when you have no friends or like when you have no community, like, you know, it's, it's the same reason why not everyone becomes like addicted to cocaine, right? Like Coke's like great and fun. And like, it probably, you know, makes parties a lot more exciting, but you, you know, you're aware of its existence. A lot of people know what it feels like, but they aren't seeking it out because like the alternative is strong enough and you, you know what it is, you know, what, you know what the alternative lifestyle is. I think like a lot of people just don't know, like they don't have access to it at all, especially now, right? Like if these lockdowns keep going on, like how would you ever distract yourself from it? Like, how would you ever know that the sacrifice is worth it because you don't ever get access to what you're sacrificing for? Exactly. And I think, you know, this this new generation of, of kids who are essentially kind of lockdown kids, like they haven't really seen much of the world. And then now they've been in lockdown for a year or something like that. Um, their families probably don't have like some form of, you know, big moral structure to, to, you know, convey to them either. They're, you know, kind of floating around on the apps and then they will not have any comparison. Like I've, I've grown up, you know, pre- almost pre-internet like I had a I had an email account at 13 but like I had the, those <laughs> sweet few years before that where there was just nothing like it um and then you know I kind of have a, a comparison and even even so I'm completely corrupted by these apps but I can't even imagine what it's like to just you know you know wake up in the matrix and never have known that there is something else yeah I well you, you made a interesting point sort of a passing there about you know parents not providing strong moral structures either. Um, you know, in America, at least, I can't speak for the rest of the world, but like people don't like their families very much and like they don't have relationships with their parents. So again, like it sounds alarmist or extreme, like saying it out loud or even tweeting it, but like in a lot of ways, these are replacements for your family too, more than just your friends. Um, so like, even if you do know what it's like pre-internet or the world away from the internet, it's really filling a need that like has never been filled before but for a lot of people yeah i think this is this is super interesting and i think there's kind of like two two sides to it i do think you know there's something about boomer parents and even gen x parents that is kind of like a, a, a special thing in the sense that in a way they you know they're they're very much um you know the devouring mother and less less the you know the the kind of this the strict rule abiding patriarch and people like children do need that type of structure and they don't really they don't really get it now with you know kind of the, the dominant uh, strains in culture um and it feels like you know that people people are missing that and in a way boomer parents and we weren't weren't very good parents and on the other hand there's also therapy culture which kind of pathologizes almost every interaction with people and kind of marks it as trauma. And though trauma is something that really affects people and it really can mess up your life, you know, classifying too many things as trauma and just like seeing, you know, any interaction with your parents as traumatic if they didn't want to buy you something or whatever is also <laughs> a bit, I don't know, it's a bit exaggerated. Yeah, that that's actually, you know, 
I, I have my own problems with therapy culture, um, you know, especially sort of like having to speak with sort of like the therapy rubric language and like super rationally and in, in detached way, like person to person. Um, but, and you know, pathologizing your own behaviors, but marking everything your parents have done as trauma is a, is a really good point. Um, it's like you already are separated from your parents. You probably don't have a relationship to them. And now a step further, they're vilified. Um, you know, and it's like, you have to, it's, first of all, it's like not fair to people who experienced real abuse. Um, but also it's like, you're inventing, you're inventing memories for people. You're like retroactively altering people's memories. So it's even worse than it already was. Exactly. There's just an entire kind of cottage industry of therapy. Um, it's not like inducing trauma, but really, really going deep, like really navel gazing to an apocalyptic level about, you know, how like I remember someone told me that, uh, you know, he could trace back all of his life's problems to the fact that he was neglected one day when he was uh, two weeks old and his mother forgot about him and he was screaming, screaming, and then he relived this trauma and in, in therapy. And I'm like thinking, man, this is a grift. Like these, these people are just milking you for money. Like all these, I don't know. It's, it's almost, um, I don't know. It's very new agey as well. Like there's a lot of new age stuff going into it. Like this, you know, I understand that you probably have some memories from two weeks old, but this is pretty detailed, <laughs> you know, I don't know if yeah. you can recall that to that level. Um, and yeah, there's, there's so many, there's retreats, there's all sorts of stuff going into this, a lot of money exchanging well, hands. You know, it's, 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 what's interesting is like, it's, because it's the the confluence of like new age culture, corporate culture, therapy culture, three things that probably should have never met. Um, the sort of like, you know, like, like what is it called? It was like, like reaching your full potential. It's some like new age movement uh, was co-opted by corporate culture. Uh, like it, this is as early as like the late seventies. Um, and then it borrowed language from therapy. And then there was like therapies created off the back of it. And then it's, you know, that's totally divorced from like, you know, real therapy or like therapy that has like a real utility. And now there's also like stuff in the middle where it's like stuff that does have utility, but it's like misapplied or like people, you know, too many people are in therapy if you're in a certain, uh, you know, socioeconomic class. Uh, so it really like, you know, money is the water. Yeah, exactly. I, I I kept seeing this more and more just kind of living in London, living these kind of like even tech adjacent culture, like so many people are like shamans and they they kind of bring in like all sorts of kind of especially South American culture. They're kind of just, you know, <laughs> appropriating all sorts of stuff from all sorts of these faith traditions. And um, it's also very new agey. Yoga was the big thing, you know, all sorts of yoga, hot yoga, cold yoga, you know, cryo yoga, whatever you wanted was the thing. Um, it's it's definitely like an, a new a new space in, in neoliberalism, this whole this whole shamanic neoliberalism. It's, I don't know, it was, it was quite interesting because I mean, my first instinct as you know, as a as an old school new atheist at heart, I'm like, this is all bullshit. <laughs> like, guys, what's what's going on here? Because this is these are well, apparently it's, like, it's enchantment as a commodity, right? Like you can't sell, you know, we don't have enchanted existence, we're trying to buy it from some place. And um, I, I used to be like waist deep in the new age stuff. I was like a, a priestess. I mean, like I've, I've done all the, you know, like drug fueled shamanic journeys and stuff, but, um, you know, a lot of it is people like looking for this like mystical element. And then it gets really weird when like your startup starts bringing that into like, how could we engineer community, 
you know, we're asking you to work these 60 hour weeks. I, it's, it's like, it's really strange. And, it, and like, it's been baked into the history, like for, um, I think longer than it's been, you know, this visible. It, it's really strange, um, you know, it, people wanting religion and it, it, there's, I, there's all sorts, there's all sorts of strange aspects to it. Um, the overlap it has with like QAnon types. I mean, it just, it goes real deep. Really? I didn't know Q was like a part of this. If I was just like old boomers <laughs> on Facebook. Um, so the new agers are like, people think um, people who are like real and like their whole life is new age stuff. I think it's easy to assume they're like kind of left leaning or like, if not, you know, actually on the left, like some sort of weird, like, you know, Biden version of that. Right. Uh, but they're mostly like libertarians um, because it's all about like unverified personal gnosis. Um, it, you know, like they don't trust authority. It's very anti-authoritarian. So it, it's, you know, like Infowars, QAnon, all these people are, are like new age whack jobs. Like the funny thing about Alex Jones is we were watching him when he was on Austin Public Access. This dude is like real like he was doing like candle magic he was dating a witch at some point i mean like the, he's like he's into crystals um yeah he, he, the people sort of in his orbit in austin i mean this is old information right it's probably changed since trump but like <laughs> those people were like selling kratom and like taking essential oils instead of of medicine like <laughs> there's like a really really big overlap there um even the the guy who broke into the Capitol, the the Q the Q shaman guy, he's mm -hmm. like super into you know interdimensional travel and stuff and astral projecting and all that, all that crap. It's so it's a really weird um, merging of subcultures. Yeah, it's 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 quite interesting. I mean, just to see it, like you said, as you know, becoming co commoditized because it wasn't this kind of like, in a way, it was at the seed of Silicon Valley and, and tech in general. Like you know, Steve Jobs was you know famously you know uh, loved acid, and you know a lot of these guys were kind of hippies in a way, uh, or at least hippie adjacent. Um, but just kind of optimizing enlightenment, right? Like you're you're short. It's a shortcut. If you take it, you know, you could be, you could, you could go through all the, the, the rituals and, um, like gateways of like learning, learning these things as a shaman, or you could take acid. And I mean, not all tech people think this way. Right. But, um, I think there's definitely a contingent of tech people who do, who are like, sure, but like this, I could do it like way quicker and, you know, way better if I, if I do it this way, whereas, you know in in these like religious communities or like these spiritual communities you get like warned about these people who are trying to like skip levels you know and mm -hmm. skip ahead to enlightenment yeah exactly there's actually there's a name for it i don't know spiritual by bypass or something like that i don't know yeah spiritual bypassing it yeah. i i like forgot all the terms as it was coming out of the yeah, yeah. I, I, I was i was in kind of like a more of a i don't know new agey vibe like uh, a few years ago and i i kind of got in these communities and i think there's just a lot a lot to it as well i mean i've definitely learned from it and I'm, i've changed and i'm not i'm not my my old new atheist self but um yeah this is also you know my my bullshit detector was was going off the charts almost every time um but there, there's a lot a lot to it you know there's it's not it's not it's not all bullshit that's that's what i'm gonna say um <laughs> 
And uh, I think the kind of the, the the last question I have, and this is something I try to ask people on the show. I want to make this the question of the show: is um, <laughs> do you um, do you have someone that you think is like a, a worthwhile thinker or writer, or someone that you know you you know about that you think more people should know about? Like someone subversive, obviously, and, and it's the spirit of the show, someone who's uh, who's who's red pilled you on something. Um. That's a good question and I'm, I'm surprised that I like don't have an answer like off the top of my head um there's there's definitely like people in tech um and I like their thinking so I, I guess I'll, I'll go with uh Balaji um he like he's doing this whole like networked state thing I think he says like a lot of interesting optimistic things about the future um and you know <laughs> this is I a little a little bit embarrassed to say this because I hope it doesn't come off as like a plug for my own stuff. But I also really like the way Justin Murphy thinks. Um, he because I I feel like he he's not afraid to be wrong, and he is really really like independent in his thinking. He listens to people, but he's really just going to do his own thing. And I think even if you don't agree with like what he says specifically, um, just his style is like his style of using the internet is is great because he's you know he, he's doing it honestly he's doing it sincerely and he's doing it totally unabashedly um so i mean anyone anyone with that attitude uh paul scalis is another one who's just like totally like if, if we could all use the internet like paul scalis does right <laughs> um, yeah so yeah yeah I'm, I'm i'm a total justin murphy stan as well like he was definitely you know part of the the reason that i i, I got on twitter as well and um yeah he he doesn't care and i think that's that's amazing and obviously he's a polarizing figure because of that because you know people they don't like it when you don't care um but it's uh it's, it's quite endearing and he's doing so many cool projects like um i mean is is your uh arranged marriage service still still going on yeah, that's that's still happening. It's a it's a big project though, so it's it's, you know, yes. it's not gonna be be quick by any means. Um, but yeah, you know he, he he doesn't care, but he like he listens to people, which I think is like the other the other piece of it. Um, he hears people out, and I think like it's it's the perfect marriage of like knowing when to step down and knowing when to stand your ground. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, he's he's the kind of person who's also really good with community. I mean, he has community with, with indie thinkers, but, you know, he's the kind of person who will, you know, put people in contact, who will, you know, yeah, introduce new people to, to his network and things like that. And I think that's invaluable because he's such a good node, like, you know, people know about him. And it's, yeah, it's quite, I mean, this is how I met you, actually. Yeah. He's a super connector. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I and also I have to say, yeah, Bal Balaji is is great as well. Yeah, I'll second that. Yeah, he's um, he's one of the 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 techno optimist voices that makes me a little bit more of a techno optimist as well. <laughs> like, yeah, he he knows what's up. Um, well, thank you so much for joining me on this, you know, still kind of bare bones podcast with terrible audio, but, uh, <laughs> I hope, I hope this was as fun for you as it was for me. And it was real fun for me. Um, and I, I hope to, to see you again. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Hey guys, before I let you head off, I want to add a little bit of remedial uh, recording to this one podcast um, because I'm still a pretty green podcaster. I do tend to forget to, to have people plug their stuff at the end of the episode. So um, if you want to read more of Default's work, 
you should head to defaultwisdom.substack.com. Uh, subscribe. It's it's an awesome advice column where she uh, she posts her essays. I think it's you know I think it's weekly, but it might be even more frequent than that. Um, and also, she is the host of Post to Post FM, um, and you can find her latest project on her Twitter at Default Friend. So yes, that was uh, that's about it. <laughs> if you like what you're hearing, want to see where I take it. And maybe want early access to episodes, bonus episodes, access to the AMA, or you just want to support the cause of dissident speech or my work in general, head to my Patreon at patreon.com slash aksubversive. Your donations are what keeps the lights on and makes the show possible, so thank you. <laughs>